You're with SBS Radio. We often hear about new policies and programs that promise to improve the lives of Australians. But what about the issues that are too stigmatised and seem to be too taboo for policymakers to address? I'm Katrina Stirrett, and this is the Too Hard Basket. In this final instalment on the prison system, we'll look at the trauma confronting women in prison, with a particular focus on how these issues are exacerbated for First Nations women. The majority of incarcerated women have committed less serious crimes, and yet, once they face prison, they're far more likely to return. These same women are often the victims of abuse, intergenerational trauma and addiction, and can be re-traumatised by the prison setting. So why do we still rely on prison as the answer to a range of far more complex issues? And what might be done to change the system? Of course you're scared because you, everyone's scared of the unknown. And I remember sitting down at central cells um, waiting for the truck and that to come um, and just really what not, you know, knowing, not knowing what was ahead of me. Just remember that we have the power, you know, you're not, you're, we can do this and you can't do anything about it. And so it was always it was a big loss of identity and um, remembering that you're nothing and there was a reminder almost daily that you're nothing. And the state of the cells are disgusting. It made me feel like like I'm not worthy, I'm not worth it. It, It's wrong, it's so wrong. That was Lillian, Ali and Julie. All three women have spent time in prison and each recall the trauma which formed part of their experiences. Ali Colquitt landed in prison on a serious drug charge of ongoing supply in 2015, spending just over a year behind bars. She says she was a statistic addicted to drugs as a coping mechanism for the abuse and trauma she experienced. I was one of those women who just kind of, um, and there's lots of us out there that, you know, grew up in, in, you know, difficult um, circumstances at home and and through different experiences learnt to cope by self-medicating with drugs. And, um, you know, it worked really well for a while until it didn't. And then... Um, you start to get involved in all kinds of things to to feed your habit and fund the lifestyle. And, um, you know, that often breeds criminal behaviour and and it's a cycle that it's really hard to break out of. For Ali, prison only re-traumatised her. She describes the battle to recover any self-worth when she returned to the outside, with prison serving to constantly strip her of any identity. So they would just come in and, like, all of your little photos and trinkets and things that you've collected to make yourself feel a little bit more comfortable. They would just throw everything, like tear everything off the walls and tip your bed upside down and pull the mattress off and throw all your clothing on the floor and everything and then just leave it and walk out. But really they would just do it as a routine um, 
I think it was more of a, a way to kind of keep us in our place around our morale. Just remember that we have the power. You know, you're not. You're, we can do this, and you can't do anything about it. Um, and so it was all. It was a big loss of identity and um, remembering that you're nothing. And there was a reminder almost daily that you're nothing. Ali is describing a process often referred to as ramping, whereby prison guards strip the cells to undergo a search for illicit substances or objects. New South Wales Corrective Services describes this process as random and intelligence-based daily searches and say it's part of committing to a zero tolerance of contraband. Unfortunately, Ali is not alone in what she and others describe as a dehumanising experience. Proud Githabool woman Lillian Miles grew up in Redfern and is program manager of First Nations community-led organisation Tribal Warrior. Lillian felt that prison was a traumatising space, involving processes and incidents that would never be considered acceptable outside that context. Going through the actual process or, you know, having to wash your hair with lice stuff and, um, you know, stripping down in front of a group, that also too is uh, um, traumatic, you know. It, it strips you of your dignity. Mm. You know, by the end of your sentence, you just, they tell you to pull your pants down, you're pulling your pants down and, you know, strip search straight away um, without any second thought. You know, people in society... When they say that, they say that it's, a, it's being violated. Um, so you can see the way conditioning happens when it comes to these sort of stuff and the way it strips you of your dignity and your self-respect. In a statement, New South Wales Corrective Services said body scanners are reducing the need for strip searching but maintain it is a necessary part of the prison system. Although representing less than 4% of the Australian population, Indigenous Australians make up around 30% of the prison population, according to the annual 2021 Australian Bureau of Statistics report. First Nations women make up 10% of that population, significantly outnumbering non-Indigenous women. For Lillian, carrying intergenerational trauma explains how she ended up in prison. Her mother was stolen generation and Lillian says she grew up in an environment that wasn't nurturing. She turned elsewhere for love and affection, losing herself in a dangerous spiral of drug use and crime. So growing up, I ended up being with men, um, looking for that love from from men that, you know, were either abusive, really misleading, um, were really traumatised their own as well. Um, so I started, you know, looking smoking pot at a very young age. Um, you know, and a lot of people in my situation um, and know these kinds of stories, you know, that they're climbing that ladder almost. Mm-hmm. You know, you start off doing something, you know, as simple and, you know, harmless to it. You think, Nyani, marijuana, um, and then they climb the ladder. Following a relationship with a man much older than her who was sent to prison, Lillian was forced to fend for herself whilst battling a heroin addiction. She was incarcerated herself just after her 18th birthday in 1999, sentenced to around three years in prison for armed robberies. Lillian says this was unfortunately common in Aboriginal communities in Redfern, especially after heroin swept through the area in the 1990s. 
Julie Crow followed a similar pathway from drugs to crime. After losing the kids and getting uh, kicked out, I was living on the streets and at the train station. I end up on drugs, uh, the ice. And to support the ice addiction, I started doing crime. Like I've never done crime before. And I actually stole a BMW. Julie was in prison for seven months in 2020 and pledges to never return. She believes the drug court was helpful in her addiction recovery, but says the isolation of prison was not conducive to rehabilitation. And for First Nations women who rely on kinship, this isolation is even more traumatising, says Deadly Connections CEO Carly Stanley. Particularly for First Nations women who have um, caring responsibilities, not just for their own children, but for extended family or other children within their kinship network, Removing that woman from that family is is completely disruptive and destructive. And putting them into an environment that doesn't promote healing, that doesn't promote opportunities, um, that doesn't develop any sort of um, pro-social skills or psychosocial skills. The number of Indigenous Australian women in prison has increased by 420% over the last decade according to Naranga Woman and co-chair of Change the Record, Cheryl Axelby. Many of these women are in fact victims of domestic violence or abuse, according to the 2021 Change the Record Pathways to Safety report. During Ms Axelby's time working for the Aboriginal Legal Service, she witnessed how First Nations women are often faced with a punitive response, rather than being offered the support they need. They're not believed. Um... They're not taken seriously that they have been a victim themselves, usually. Um, And usually police, um, you know, in situations, particularly in the past, um, you know, they would actually sort of like liaise, well, you know, if you're not going to lay charges or, you know, if you're going to uh, lay charges, well, then your partner will lay charges and we'll arrest both of you, you know. So it's Mm -hmm. that sort of, you know, that sort of context. Ms Stanley explains that it doesn't help that Indigenous Australians experience a lot of distrust in colonial systems. Even if there is a service available for people coming out of prison, whether that's men or women, is that service culturally responsive and is that service culturally safe? Because if it's not, our First Nations people are not going to engage. And I think, you know, for our people in particular, there's there's a significant uh, distrust around government agencies, obviously around uh, colonisation and the part they've played in old removals and all of the really um, disruptive and destructive mob over the years. So, you know, it, it takes a long time for Aboriginal people to trust a service or to trust a worker even. In fact, there is an increasing trend towards removing children from First Nations mothers. The Public Interest Advocacy Centre 2021 report shows the rate of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children subject to child protection orders has increased since 2016 up to nearly 8%, while the rate of non-Indigenous children being removed has remained at a steady 0.7%. There is also a clear correlation between the removal of Indigenous Australian children from their parents and future justice involvement – as outlined in a 2020 report by Deadly Connections on high rates of First Nations incarceration. This perpetuates the trauma of the stolen generations and unfairly places the blame on First Nations mothers, says Ms Axelby. When they cry out for help, 
um, there's a punitive response. Um, and if you're a victim of family violence, then you're also at risk of having your child removed. Um, mm. And we're seeing greater statistics now of children being removed because of family violence um, situations in the home. And a lot of the times the mothers are blamed for the situation for which they've got no control. Added to this is the reality that most women in custody are incarcerated for less serious crimes than men in custody. Ms Axelby believes Australia should be adopting some of the practices seen in other places around the world, such as the home detention options available in the United States, which allow mothers to be supported in their own environments. Deadly Connections is a First Nations-led organisation that centres healing and supports the entire family structure to try and break the cycle of disadvantage and crime. Ms Stanley believes colonial departments tend to work in silos and that a more holistic approach is required to address the real issues leading First Nations women to offend. This involves a model of transformative justice, which goes one step beyond restorative justice to look at the root causes behind the behaviour, Ms Stanley explains. Corrective Services insists there are a range of educational, employment and health programs on offer. But having worked in corrective services in the past, Ms Stanley understands the value of First Nations communities leading the response to issues that directly affect them. Families and individuals become connected. I mean, that ties in with our name, Deadly Connections, and the reason we called it Deadly Connections was because we acknowledge that what people need when they're trying to make important changes is connection, not isolation. And what our current systems do is isolate people and make them feel like they're the other and they give them a number um, while they're in prison and then that number follows them for the rest of their lives and then they're subject to reporting then they can never break the shackles of that, of that involvement. Homelessness is another factor driving incarceration. More than one-third of women are released from prison into homelessness or unstable housing, according to the Keeping Women Out of Prison Coalition. Access to housing is therefore an essential means of security and reduces women's chances of recidivism. Sally Stevenson is the Executive Director at Illawarra Women's Health Centre. She's part of the Illawarra Housing Project, which is collaborating with the South Coast New South Wales community to provide five apartments for two years rent-free to women engaged in the criminal justice system. Getting housing is, is the baseline to moving forward. It's absolutely critical um, because enough, the vast majority of women get custodial sent uh, either in prison because they're on remand or get custodial sentences less than 12 months. So what that does is that fact it disrupts their life. Um, even a short sentence can mean they lose their housing, they lose employment, they lose attachment to their family. Um, so trying to restart after that is extremely difficult, particularly when housing is not affordable in the Illawarra. Um, so to have housing available as um, a safe and secure place to be is important. First Nations women are at an even greater disadvantage when it comes to housing, says Ms Axelby with systemic racism continuing to place Indigenous Australians below the poverty line. She says First Nations people still rely on public housing while governments look to reduce funding. If you don't have housing stability um, and you don't have, you know, the stability for, to be able to look after your children, you know, we, have, we experience overcrowding like within homes, as an example, um, you know, which can create some of the issues that we see that actually happens within our communities. Um, you know, not just family violence, 
but we also see the impact, um, you know, in the context of health. Um, these are some of the policy um, issues that need to be tackled because whilst they're having that conversation, um, you know, more and more our people are becoming homeless uh, and ending up in the justice system. More of our kids are going to end up in the child protection system as a result. As far as support is concerned, Ali knows internal work was vital to her recovery. There's a lot of focus in the prison system around education and employment. You know, if you're going to give someone, she just needs to get out and she needs to get a job and she needs to get an education. And my thought is, well, if this woman hates herself and thinks she's worthless, what good is education and employment going to do when eventually though that is the stuff that drives you? It's not healthy to have shame. It doesn't help us grow or heal. I think, um, you know, if there's anyone listening to this who does feel shame about some of their past, especially females, I just encourage those women to um, look at the shame and wonder, is it mine or is it someone else's? For Lillian, working within her own Aboriginal community is central to her healing. She understands firsthand the value of community care. All I needed was just someone to help me find my feet until I was able to walk on my own. So that sort of support, and I take that same, um, you know, what I'd learnt from her, I do that now and I have that same line of thinking. Everyone just needs that one support person. As someone who grew up visiting her family members in prison, Ms Stanley appreciates the power of community deeply and the dangers of isolation. For as long as we demonise them and exclude them, that's what we're creating. We're creating monsters by doing that and we can't complain when they come out as monsters. So let's stop creating those people and let's start creating opportunities for healing, opportunities for connection and opportunities for belonging. Katrina Stirrett, SBS News. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.